Hey, everybody, it's Kai. This is Politics Inside Out, that thing we do, which hopefully you know by now. Before we get going, a quick little, um, I guess we would call it a forward promo, a sneak peek, a, a, and a plea uh, as well. A call uh, out, a plea, yes. Yes, exactly. that's Andrea Seabrook, by the way. Um, uh-huh. We're going we're gonna to be talking political terms and categories uh, next week, maybe Monday, don't know. Uh, you know, liberal, conservative, populist, whatever it is. And, and the thing we want to talk about is whether they apply anymore because... Holy cow, 2016. So, uh, just as an example, <laughs> what do you call yourself? Democrat, Republican, Independent, uh, uh, Indiecrat, Conservative, Progressive, Republicanian? Take your pick uh, and tell Republicrat. us. Republicrat. Republicrat. There's that, too. Um, modern, uh, modern, crazy pants. Hit us uh, on Twitter is probably the best way. You can get me at Kyle Rizdal. She's at Radio Babe. The show itself is at Marketplace. Uh, you guys know what to do from there. Um, the unheard voice so far is that of Kimberly Adams. She is, uh, by day, one of our Washington reporters, by night, intrepid field reporter. She is, where are you, New York? Are you in New York? (laughs) I'm in New York York right now. We're we're doing doing a a triple-way conversation here with with Andrea in Washington, me in L.A., and Kimberly in New York, where you are just back from uh, where? Tell us. I am back from my hometown, actually, of St. Louis, Missouri. I I had no idea you were from St. Louis. Huh. Why do you think I'm always asking people to show me stuff? <laughs> Prove oh, it, man. <laughs> show me state. Seriously, did you just do that? Uh, Get out of here. Only, only on the <laughs> podcast. All right. Take advantage uh, of the podcast, So there, there you are in, in the heartland of America uh, uh, doing what? Uh, lots of things, actually. I was talking to people who were laid off steel workers at a Granite City steel mill. Mm. I was talking to people in North St. Louis where they were doing this big development project that involved people moving out of a traditionally black neighborhood so that a government agency can move in. Mm. I also went to Ferguson to see how that community was recovering a couple years on from the Michael Brown protest. So pick your poison. Lots of things to talk about. Yeah, let's. Yeah, that's a good phrase. Let's start with with the big picture stuff. I mean, uh, macro economy wise, how is Granite City, St. Louis, Ferguson doing? So everybody is still kind of reeling from the election and hmm. doesn't people just don't really know what to make of it. I mean, I was also there hanging out with my family during Thanksgiving oh. and, you know, in the midst of everyone sort of talking about the terrible media to me and, and blaming <laughs> all of us for 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 what happened. You know, there were also my, my mom's boyfriend there talking about how Hillary Clinton was such a flawed candidate. Hmm. And so. There were a lot of different things that came up. Um, Macroeconomy-wise, St. Louis is actually doing pretty well. Even though in Granite City, the steel mill has cut Mm two-thirds of its jobs in the last couple of years, St. Louis is still one of the largest manufacturing uh, regional areas in the country. They've still got Boeing. They've got Anheuser-Busch InBev. They've got all of these these different manufacturing uh, sectors going on, and the city is investing. And then also you've got sort of a, a city that is is coming back. There's a lot of investment, a lot of building. Half of my interviews have construction noise in the background because <laughs> MB in radio parlance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Can I ask um, where is Granite City in relation to to yeah. St. Louis? Oh yeah, sorry, that was very Midwest oh, of me, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Granite City is actually in Illinois, just across the river mm-hmm. from downtown St. Louis. Um, but it's interesting. Let me just describe the drive for you. So if you're like staring at the arch in downtown mm-hmm. St. Louis, and you get on the bridge and go over the river into Illinois, and you see all these barges and all of yeah. these uh, where like corn and soybeans and all these things are going down the Mississippi River, then you go over the river and you. 
go over levees that sometimes hold the water back during floods. And then you get into this really, really industrial area. Um, Incomes are definitely going down once you get into this area. And then you start seeing these Big, big piles of uh, coke. Uh, the uh, the material Steel that is yeah. yeah, exactly. And wait, uh, wait, smell... wait, 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 wait. What coke? coke not yeah. Coca Cola. No, coke. Coke. What, what is coke? Yeah. Sorry, someone tell it's... me. It's like a byproduct of – it's something that they use to make steel. Right. Basically, it's it, if you look at it piled, piled up, it's like looks almost like coal, I right. guess, like right. slag. Um, yeah, but but less but less toxic. But it's it's big okay. it's big black mountains of stuff is the short oh, yeah. is the short and, description. And yes, big black mountains of stuff that you drive through and then you see the steel mill that takes up block after block after block of Granite City surrounded by empty parking lots. Was this is it was it a a how did it lean politically during the election these this general area? Uh, St. Louis is usually the outlier in Missouri and tends to lean very strongly Democratic. Yeah. Uh, southern, uh, southwestern Illinois tends to be a bit more Republican, although Granite City is a big union town. And this is where right. things got really interesting because the United Steelworkers is a big union. And as I said, it's a big union town. And they were supporting Hillary Clinton, definitely against Donald Trump, who has uh, – articulated that he's not the biggest fan of unions, <laughs> but many, many yeah. of these union guys who lost their jobs and they blame it on bad U.S. trade policy yep, yep, yep. and all these other things, many of them voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. And in in particular, I was I actually hung out at a union meeting um, on one Thursday night where yeah. all these guys, mainly laid off steelworkers, are getting together with their union. And I talked to this guy who was late for the meeting. His name was Mike McGee. And I caught him in the stairwell and he was saying how big of a fan he was of Donald Trump. And then I asked him this question. Let's play clip number three. What do you specifically expect him to do now to bring these steel jobs back to Granite City? Well, I hope he, uh, I heard today some guys talking about uh, uh, taxes on what they send in. So if like uh, the carrier company, so you move out, okay, well, whatever product you send in, you're going to pay 35% taxes. And you're like, oh, maybe it's worth us to not move away and just go ahead and, you know, pay these guys in our own country where everything should be. So you know what's great about that tape is you can hear the stairwell, right? That's the that's yeah. the great part of radio. You can <laughs> so hear true. the stairwell. Um, <laughs> so it's it's interesting, right? He so the carrier thing, of course, big in the last couple of weeks, and and Mr. McGee here clearly heard that, saw it, and and is in favor of it. Is not bothered by any of the backroom. You know, it's not actually going to be all the thousand jobs. He just wants something done, right? And the funny thing is that story had just broken about this yeah. deal that and and I and I kind of pushed back with him a little bit. I said, you know, hey, but the state of Indiana is, you know, paying quite a bit to keep some of those not jobs, not all of them. And he's like, yeah, but at least it's something. Yep, yep, and yep. And I even asked, I said, but you know that he's built some of his buildings with Chinese steel. And he was like, yeah, but you know what? Here's what I want and here's what I think about him. Let's play clip number two. I like that he's pro-United States and not all the other countries just doing what they want. They can have tariffs on us, but we don't, they can do whatever they want. Oh, yeah, send it on over. We'll take it. The Democrats have 
to me, failed for the middle class. I don't think they understand, or maybe they understand, or don't just don't care. How many companies have moved out of this country? Yeah, so uh, so you know what's great about that, Andrea, is that's exactly the discussion that you and I had that yes. day that you spanked me for, for imputing motive to Trump voters. That's exactly what it is. These guys just want uh, something to be done, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't blame them. No, I mean, of course not. You right? know, I don't blame them at all. I think that doesn't mean there isn't a place in American politics for the ideology of international trade lifting all boats. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. But 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 when you get it to the person's individual economy and that that's been the, right. the, the rap on on international trade and global trade and free trade forever, which is that in the aggregate, it's great. But in the individual steelworkers and sock makers and what have you get hurt, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that the reason why in the aggregate it's great and down to the person it, it may not be is because our own economy hasn't realigned to the modern economy. You know, we're still we're still making socks. Right. <laughs> or, well, we were. Right. And that's why that's why those jobs are going. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, the counter argument is, you know, it's it's harder to say to people, yeah, I'm the, you are you are a great valued member of our society and we need you to stop mining and, and start uh, and start fixing computers. It's really hard to do that, but it doesn't mean it's not the right way to move. Kimberly, did these folks that you talked to have any desire to have the conversation of, well, we have to change or do they want uh, what was promised, which is a return to the way it was? Both, actually. And it's funny, Andrea, that you should mention computers because a couple of different things happened. I I spoke to the the main union guy, the the local leader, um, right before the the meeting started. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that the steel industry is actually coming back. The prices are starting to go up. Because, because of as a reason, yeah. yeah. Well, well, actually, because they filed so many lawsuits yeah, that see. actually a lot of the steel dumping has already stopped, and they're a little bit worried that Trump is going to take credit for the industry coming back. But so there, there is a chance that those jobs are going to come back, and there's a chance that Trump policies, especially if he goes ahead with this infrastructure plan. Um, that's going to require a lot mm-hmm, of steel. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that this steel ma- mill may get up and running again and some of these guys may get their job back. But many of these guys, and it was all guys there that yeah. I met, have been out of work for a long time, a year, a year and a half. Their unemployment benefits are running out. They cannot find anything in Granite City even close to what they're making. These guys are making $25, $30 an hour. They're getting offered jobs at 15 and they are just saying no. So the other thing I did in Granite City was go to a local college that is that has a retraining program oh, in yeah. partnership with the union and with um, the state of Illinois. And I met a bunch of these guys who were learning how to do how to use these giant machines, of course, run by computers and robots that did their jobs. And I talked to one guy who was saying, you know, nobody would give me a job, but now that I'm getting these skills, he was very aware that the skills that he was getting, he was probably going to get a job, but he was going to get a job that maybe five or six people used to do. Right. So they are definitely aware that that the industry is changing and that automation is a big part of it. But they still just want a job. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. All right. So let's let's go uh, across the Mississippi uh, to to St. Louis. What's it like there? Oh, St. Louis. That is (laughs) that is home. It is gentrifying. 
Uh. like many, many places around the country. So in particular, I spent a lot of time in North St. Louis. It's a part of the city that is historically and still is predominantly African-American, predominantly lower income. And um, if you go a little bit past North St. Louis is when you get to Ferguson and all these kind of outlying um, townships where where many of the stories about the, the region have come out lately. This and particular let's just part remind of, people, Fer- Ferguson is where Mike Brown was killed right, by a police yeah, of officer. Yeah. And there were a lot of protests yeah. and violence yes. and, and all of those things. This particular part of North St. Louis is actually very near where I went to church growing up. And so I remember Hmm. driving through it as a kid, and it was just sort of like your normal low-income African-American neighborhood. But each time I go home over the years, the area is like more and more blighted, more and more vacant houses, higher and higher crime. And so what the city has done in this particular neighborhood is basically given away about 100 acres of land and said— to this government agency, the National uh, Geospatial uh, Agency, that you, if you do this project here, you can have this land for free. And mm. they're relocating people off the land. And it's this big strategy to try and revitalize this extremely blighted neighborhood in order to bring economic development. It's a $1.75 billion project mm dropped in the middle and it's a spy agency it's a uh, sorry it's an <laughs> yeah. intelligence agency <laughs> it's a spatial, <laughs> spa- yeah, spatial imagery is what they do so the same question here now for the folks uh from granite city what do they expect in the trump economy they are expecting that it's not going to be for them hmm. and for them by by for them i mean these People in this predominantly African-American community are expecting that Trump is not really going to do much for them. But I had a very interesting conversation with uh, an African-American guy who was the hotel restaurant manager at the place where I was staying. And he said that one of the arguments that Trump made that really landed with him was when he when when Trump said to African American voters, "What do you oh, have that's to so lose?" Funny. Yeah, I saw I saw some stuff on this the other day, and fundamentally, he's right, right? Well, it depends on who you ask, yep. because yep. if you think about in Los Angeles, where you are, yep. in Washington D.C., where Andrea is, and and here in New York, where I am, that particular argument was just lambasted. Yeah, People well, were like, "Oh, it's so offensive! How could he say that? We have people have yep. everything yep. to lose." Yep. And this guy was just like, you know. My situation hasn't really improved, and it's not going to improve on the track that we're on now. So, yeah, what do I have to lose? Right, exactly. And so and let's, that so let's point argument out, landed. Right. No, I get that. But let's point out California is blue, Washington, D.C. is blue, and, and New York is blue, right? And so it was, and the, Missouri it was is that very, coastal very elite red. thing, right? Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Well, Andrew, it's, it's making sorry. an assumption. Yeah, it's making an assumption about what, quote, unquote, urban right. Uh, voters are like. Um, And that's a euphemism for African-American voters. It's like saying that only African-American people would vote for Democrats because they're in inner city places uh, that are mostly blue. And uh, and so therefore, the policies we Democrats is what that we is um, are going to enact are going to be good for those people. And therefore, you should vote for us. But I think once you once, you know, that population stratifies and frankly, it always has been. You can't make those kinds of assumptions. Then the Democrats, they they don't necessarily deserve the kind of whole lock on that voting block. And I think that's what Donald Trump was pointing out. Yeah, totally. 
Totally. Um, can we can we do a very quick thing about Ferguson proper here and what's been going on there since it was all in the news of, of the protests after Mike Brown and and what how literally how's it going? Very, very well, actually. Hmm. Um, it's a bit I guess it was very awkward for me to to see the story in this way, because the story that I originally went there to do was did all of this protest movement, all of this political activism, did people show up at the ballot box and change their community? Did this people? This was the question that everybody had at yeah. Ferguson, and and in all these other protests that have happened throughout the country. Will all these people who show up to protest will they show up at the ballot box? And you know, people are still parsing that out. But when I got there, what really jumped out at me. And what people kept talking about was all of the economic development in Ferguson since Michael Brown was killed. And what happened was that the community got so much attention. Department of Justice came in and made all these changes and mandated all of these things. But also a lot of businesses said, well, we want to do something. And they're doing something was to go into Ferguson, this predominantly African-American, previously pretty low-income community, and start businesses. This uh, medical billing and, and coding firm built a new facility that has a child care center and a community center and a gym and wow. hired a bunch of local people. There's a Starbucks in Ferguson wow. now, and there definitely was not before. And I was speaking with a city council member who's actually the first African-American mayoral candidate of Ferguson, and mm. she was saying that there are probably more businesses that have opened in Ferguson than there were businesses that shut down because of the, wow. the unrest and didn't come back. And so the people there are more politically engaged and more people are showing up to city council meetings hmm. and there's more there's more economic development in Ferguson now than there was. In a, and I spoke with a, a young lady who's working at this medical billing firm and she was saying, you know, the, the lasting gift from Michael Brown is that the community is better for what happened to wow. him. I have a question. I think take two two seconds, Kimberly, and and explain why we, why Marketplace, why you went to St. Louis and Granite City. Why why, why there for these stories? One of the things that really jumped out at a lot of people in the aftermath of the election was this sense that there's only certain parts of the country that matter, especially when it comes to media coverage. And, you know, I kind of take issue on that because I feel like we at Marketplace, we did go all over the country to talk to people in the lead up to the election. And we talked about a lot of these issues of economic anxiety. But nevertheless, a lot of the discussion about what a Trump administration means is happening in Washington and on the coasts. And so... It was valuable for me, and I, and I hope it'll be valuable to our listeners once they get all these stories done, to hear how people are talking about the future and thinking about the future in what some derisively call flyover country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also where I'm from, you know? Mm-hmm. And I have at my desk in D.C. the... Um, Christmas card from a friend of mine from kindergarten. I've known this woman wow. since I was six years old, and she's a stay-at-home mom with two beautiful girls. Um, she's a conservative evangelical Christian, and she and her husband have real doubts about climate change. And and they were Trump supporters. And every time that I heard on 
the radio or on television, all of these things about what Trump supporters are mm-hmm. versus what Hillary Clinton supporters are versus what Jill Stein supporters are. It was useful for me just to look at that and say, these are my people. These are my mm-hmm. hometown people. And they are not these things that people are talking about. And it was good to go home and to have another reminder that all of these broad narratives about just what fill-in-the-blank people are, you know, that it never matches up with reality. Hmm. Context uh, is everything. That was Kimberly Adams. Uh, She's in New York this week, uh, just back from um, St. Louis and uh, environs. Uh, Andrea Seabrook was in. Washington, I'm in L.A. We're back on Monday. Uh, Let me give a plug here, a shout out, a call out, what have you, for our our conversation on political vocabulary that we're going to be having uh, next week at some point. Uh, At Marketplace, at Radio Babe, at Kai Rizdal. Kimberly, what are you? At K.A. Adams, right? Nope. K.A. underscore Marketplace. Oh, all right. At K.A. underscore Marketplace. (laughs) I have a very common name. I have to take what I can get. There you go. So, um... We're going to go. We can't all be Kai Rizdal. If I I had a dime for the number of people who have called me Guy, Kyle, K, we're not even going to go there. We're out of here. We got to go. Okay, okay. Monday. Bye. 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 This is APM.